The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Thursday, July 21st, 2016 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. So after Ted Cruz tosses a grenade, drops a bomb, detonates a bunker buster, or, in his mind, slings a stone at the mighty Philistine Trump, I don't know, for some reason, I have munitions on the mind. Oh, maybe this is the reason. New York Times. Can the members of NATO, including the new members in the Baltics, count on the United States to come to their military aid if they're attacked by Russia and count on us fulfilling our obligations? Trump. Have they fulfilled their obligations to us? If they fulfill their obligations to us, the answer is yes. The Times. And if not, Trump. Well, I'm not saying if not. I'll say the if not part. Yes, of course. Our NATO allies can depend on us is the right answer. If it were otherwise, it would upend the world order, set back diplomatic relations by years, crush post-Cold War alliance building. Oh. It would also give a green light to Trump man crush and Paul Manafort virtual sugar daddy Vladimir Putin. Most of Europe choked on its tiny cups of coffee this morning upon hearing the news. The president of Estonia, or as Russia calls it, Russia 3.0, noted that Estonia pays its NATO dues. Estonia troops fight and die in Afghanistan. Estonia was there for the U.S. after 9-11. Will the U.S. be there for Estonia? It should also be noted that you may be hearing a lot of erroneous budget figures floating out there today, like this on MSNBC. You also do look, and this is what he's looking at, the agreements that they all made, that they were going to pay a certain percentage of their defense budgets into NATO, and instead the United States pays the vast majority. I think it's more than 70 percent of the NATO budget is paid by the United States. No, the United States does not provide 73% of the NATO budget. The United States provides 22% of the NATO budget. That 73% figure is different. If you look at the combined spending on military of all 28 NATO member nations, the United States accounts for 73% of that. Why? Because the United States wants to spend a lot on its military. According to Trump, we should be spending more unnerving NATO. It's exactly the kind of thing that explains why almost no Republicans with real, credible foreign policy expertise are supporting Trump. Here's a clip from the excellent Foreign Policy Editors Roundtable podcast. Host David Rothkoff puts a simple question to former Bush administration official Corey Shockey. Is there anybody credible in the Republican foreign policy constellation? who supports Donald Trump? No, there isn't. With the exception of retired Major General Mike Flynn, I know of nobody who has crossed the line and supported Trump. But even Mike Flynn, who night one of the convention gave a widely ignored speech, not ignored by pundits, ignored by delegates who are streaming out of the hall, even Mike Flynn knows how to handle the question, should we turn our backs on our NATO allies? Here he is on a New York radio show hosted by New York supermarket magnate and failed mayoral candidate John Katsimatidis. European Union is an economic one, and NATO is a military one. They are going to be fully tested within the next uh, four years. So the president of the United States is going to be tested... Uh, General, uh, some of the candidates have said NATO is obsolete. Uh, What is your opinion? I don't think it's obsolete, but I do believe that NATO, if NATO is going to operate in the 21st century, it is going to have to relook its charter 
and a new charter must be looked at, uh, understood, and uh, and everybody's going to have to participate fully. Everybody that's going to that, that wants uh, to gain out of this relationship, they're going to have to pony up. They've got to pay to play, so to speak. Flynn hasn't been quoted on how he's going to walk back or spin what Trump was saying about NATO. But I'm going to quote, I'm going to end this by quoting Corey Shockey, the former Bush foreign policy hand, on why foreign policy experts, including almost every conservative expert, cannot support Trump. Quote, the commander in chief has wider latitude in foreign policy than domestic policy. The check and balances that normally contain lunatics that aspire to higher office are less salient on foreign policy. So we're more scared. On that uplifting note, I did spiel already, and tonight I'll spiel again in the early morning hours after Trump speaks. Who knows, maybe tonight he will threaten to leave the International Bureau of Weights and Measures. Yardstick, hell, Trump stick. But first, here's Maria Konnikova to play Is That Bullshit on the age-old explanation of canine motivation. Oh, he smells my dog. On this program, perhaps you've heard it before, there is a regular segment called Is That Bullshit? And implied in the segment, or why are we saying is it bullshit, it is an animal-based substance that smells, which brings me to our latest assertion. You visit a friend's house, your friend's dog jumps up upon you, and you naturally say, oh, he must smell my dog. And that brings us to our latest incarnation of Is That Bullshit? Is That Bullshit, colon... He must smell my dog. Maria Konnikova is here. She is the author of The Confidence Game, and she is not a dog owner? I'm not a dog Have owner. Have you ever been a dog owner? No, I'm allergic. Oh, really? Yeah. So what about those hypoallergenic dogs? Are they bullshit? Most of them actually are. I'm allergic to most hypoallergenic dogs. I hear Labradoodles are good. I don't know, but I've been okay with poodles so uh-huh. far. But every single dog that I meet, I have to basically get to know it to see if I'm going to have an allergic reaction. And it might not be worth it at a certain point. Yeah, but I love dogs. Now, when you meet a dog, do they often jump up on you? They do often like me a lot because I think think they know that I love them. I just can't play with them. And you can't say, oh, he must smell my dog because you don't have a dog. No. But if you had a dog, there'd be no way you wouldn't say he must smell my dog. Absolutely. And sometimes I wonder, sometimes I actually go through this causal reasoning. I'm like, oh, this is because I was over my friend's house and my friend has a dog. Mm -hmm. So it must smell the dog from yesterday. So I do this all the time. And, 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 And imposing human causal reasoning on dogs mm-hmm. who mostly just like to jump. <laughs> so the uh, another thing, before we even get to the he smells my dog, let's talk about a dog's sense of smell. Yeah. I think this is almost like the uh, old idea of the Eskimo or Inuit's words for snow, which has been debunked. We throw out a number, you know, a dog has 400, 7,000, 18,000 more sensors or is more sensitive to smell than we are. Uh, what's the number? What are they tracking? How do we know this? Like, what do we know about how sensitive dog sense of smell are? So I was, I was actually, dogs, dogs are. I was really excited to do this as that bullshit segment because I've just read this really great book called Being a Dog um, by Alexandra Horowitz, and it's yeah. all about how a dog smells. And Alexandra Horowitz is, she studies dogs. She's a psychologist who works with dogs up at Barnard. I was reading this book. And, and it is the, written in the first person or the actually the first canine. 
Um, sometimes it's the first person. Sometimes it's the first canine. She has two canines. They, she pretends she's a dog in the book. Well, she wants to be a dog. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There are certain points of departure. But uh-huh. anyway, it's coming out soon. I actually don't know when. This is an advanced copy. But it talks a lot about just how sensitive is the dog's sense of smell. And there was one really kind of interesting number that she throws out there. Basically, how much do you need to dilute the smell of a banana in order for the dog to still be able to detect that there's the smell of a banana? Okay, that's a good way to do it, yeah. Yeah, so what they ended up doing is they took canisters and they put amyl acetate, which is what bananas smell like, the smell chemical. Do dogs like banana smell, by the way? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. And they put it in the solutions. I know they like it when another dog vomits up banana, but that's the whole vomit <laughs> thing. Dogs love dogs be loving vomit. And so what ends up, yeah, they do love vomit. Do I love learned vomit. that as well. And poop. They love <laughs> oh. they love a lot of things that to us are very foul yeah. smelling. They don't just love it, but according to Horowitz, they love to roll around in it. That's Great. their that's their Let's favorite get these thing in the world. Invite them into our home. <laughs> Great idea. Um, the dirtier and smellier, the better. They really want to get up there. Yeah. But it turns out that they can detect one to two drops in a trillion parts uh-huh. of solution. So that means that one trillion drops of water, one drop of this banana smell, and they can still detect it. And so then she puts it in perspective and she says, okay, you know, what is this actually like? So let's assume that you have smelly socks because yes. there was a study that was actually done with butyric acid, which smells like smelly socks. For you, you will notice smelly socks probably after you've just taken them off, mm-hmm. right, in a room. And then you'll probably not notice them anymore. And if you go to the next room, unless they're really, really smelly socks, yeah. you probably will not smell them anymore. So this fox terrier with whom this particular study was done, its odor perception was the equivalent of one pair of smelly socks in the vehicle assembly building at NASA's Kennedy Space Center where they put space shuttles together. That's a huge amount of space. Oh, oh! so if so we were in one end of that Kennedy Space smel- Center, space yes. shuttle, so it can fit a space shuttle yep. and a little more. And then the other end, there was a pair of smelly socks. The dog would be able to smell them. Wow, that's pretty good. So that's pretty good. Now, this doesn't mean that the dog smells trillions of times better than we do. Mm -hmm. What this means is that the dog sees the world through its sense of smell. The way that we rely on eyes is how they rely on their nose. No, I happen to see the world through the eyes of love, but go on. Okay, okay. Fair enough, Uh fair enough. You do your thing. Yeah. But um, so their nose is very well trained. Our nose can be well trained. So you can actually train a human's nose to be very close to a dog's, but we don't use it normally that way. Really? And so yeah, you can we like have a series of treats and you belly have, rubs. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then, you know, every time you sit properly, every yeah. time you roll over, yeah. um, it, it works like a charm. Every time you don't eat vomit. <laughs> but there are there me. are people who like perfumers and people who are trained to smell who can actually detect infinitesimal odors um, along the lines of magnitude of a dog. So it's not true that dogs are inherently better smellers. It's yeah. just that dogs do smell a lot better than we do. I got to say, as a resident of New York City in the summertime, I'm kind of happy not to have that one. <laughs> like, I think it was maybe an adaptive. I don't know if it was a choice, but it's certainly working out for me not to have yeah. that great a sense of smell. I agree. Well, there was one very pleasant example, because smelly socks is not a very pleasant example. What happens when you train a dog's sense of smell? Mm-hmm. So what we've been talking about is dogs. This is how they naturally smell. So when you have, you have like, 
bomb-sniffing dogs. You have actually now banana-sniffing dogs because when dogs are looking for contraband to make sure that you're not bringing any fruit or vegetables yes. <laughs> over, over the border. So those exist too. But imagine that you have a bomb-smelling dog. So the way that they smell, Horowitz looks at cinnamon rolls and she says, so imagine that we open the door and there are one trillion cinnamon rolls baking in it. <laughs> um, that is what a dog smells when they smell that percentage as a man i would air. definitely i would definitely buy that house have you ever s- seen that assertion i don't know if it's bullshit but <laughs> the smell of cinnamon rolls people who stage houses have a cinnamon roll smell it's supposed to oh absolutely men. i've i've heard that yes, yes. and cookies it, right baking cookies oh no the the baking cookies i got from clueless <laughs> <laughs> now what about okay so we talked about how acute a dog's sense of yeah. smell is but when a dog is going crazy on you or really excited and you have a dog it's hard not to say that uh, he smells my dog. I guess like, so, there's a couple questions here. One is, is he really smelling your dog? Is he smelling something else? But also, how long does your dog's smell linger upon you? So he can be smelling your dog. Mm. That is actually potentially true. So have you noticed that sometimes, do you have a dog, Mike? I used to have a dog. Okay. So when you used to walk your dog that you used to have, yeah. did you notice your dog suddenly sniffing random oh, yeah. posts or trees oh, yeah. or things? Yeah. Um, they're sniffing other dogs or yeah. other scent markers. Yeah. Um, little presents that the dogs have left for oh, them. Oh, I noticed that. Yeah. Yes. Horowitz actually did an experiment. She put a pole up in Central Park or Riverside Park. I don't remember. One of New York's parks. Yeah. She put a pole there and tried to see, you know, what happens. And it ends up that dogs start leaving calling cards and they start sniffing and then calling cards accumulate. One calling card breeds another calling card. Wow. And so these scents do linger for a while. And she calls them calling card because it's it's something along the lines of, oh, you know, you've been here, you're no longer here, but let me leave my calling card so that you know when I've been here. So they're like the Victorian gentry of old. Exactly. (laughs) Even more so, the Victorian gentry that never returned a visit because they leave their calling cards, but then they never check back to see if someone else has received their calling card. So it's, it's it's like that haughty person who calls when they know you're not there yeah. and they leave their card and then they never come back. By the way, we give a lot of respect to Gallup and Roper. Those are poles of humans. She made a dog pole. Yeah. She's one of the few dog <laughs> pollsters. Margin of error of three barks. All right. I think we have so, enough evidence to make a judgment on this claim. He smells my dog. Is that bullshit? That's not bullshit. But he doesn't just smell your dog. He smells probably everything about your day. Yeah. And he might smell how you're feeling. They can actually, they can detect different hormones. They can tell if you're anxious. They can detect so much. So you have no idea. So on me, normally, they probably do not smell my friend's dog from two days ago. That's bullshit. But they smell your anxiety. But they probably smell my anxiety or they smell something. So they come to investigate. And By the way, that was the alternate title of Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> smell your anxiety. <laughs> the dog um, version of Curb Your Enthusiasm. But like sm- a half Afghan walking around all begrudging societal mores. But we do know that dogs like to smell other dogs. Yes. That's one of their favorite smells. That's something that they're very attuned to. And we, I think we have enough evidence to suggest that dogs can probably smell your day, including the presence of other animals. Now, if you owned a cat, all bets are off. Right. And also if you uh, wear dirty socks in the Kennedy Space Center. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. So they're on that. They're on that, like a bloodhound. Maria Konnikova is the author of The Confidence Game. She uh, does not own a dog, but she owns this book. Let's give another shout-out to Alexandra Horowitz's new book. It's a dog-eared copy that you have. I see you're enjoying it so much. It is being a dog, following the dog into a world of smell. Wow, how appropriate. Thank you so much, Maria. Thank you so much, Mike. And that's it for today's show. The Gist was produced by Mary Wilson, who is currently threatening to pull out of the International House of Pancakes, Boysenberry. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcasts, now threatening to boycott the International Mail catalog. What? That thing's been canceled? See, it worked. Andy Bowers is chief content officer of the Panoply Network. He wants the United States out of the American League. The National League is good enough. Yeah, so what if it leaves the Blue Jays the only team in the AL? It's true that Andy Bauer is a gigantic Blue Jays fan. Just total coincidence. The gist, we want out of NATO. The other NATO, the National Organization of Theater Owners. Because, hello, Expendables 3, that thing came and went in a week. I blame you, NATO. Oomperu, depperu, duperu, and thanks for listening. <laughs>